G'day again. Uh, please open up to Ecclesiastes 5. Am I on, Dave? Yep. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, and that's our text today. Uh, it's been a great journey uh, through Ecclesiastes, hasn't it? So much good stuff in there, and hopefully that it's been really helpful for us in this season in our world as well. Let's just pray as we come to God's Word. Yes, Father, we pray that you would guide us as we look at your Word today. Help us to apply it to our lives and to grow in you uh, through our time this morning. Amen. Well, uh, back in the day of Jesus, the temple of Herod, Herod the Great, was an amazing complex. Uh, we're told that it's over 25 football fields big. Like this thing was huge and it towered over Jerusalem. A pilgrim coming down the hills uh, coming outside of Jerusalem and seeing this temple tower over the city as I walked in there to worship. Today we're looking at Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 to 7 and we are talking here in Ecclesiastes about the house of God. We're talking about worshipping God. We see here that just like a pilgrim would approach the temple to worship, uh, that we too need to think about our worship of God as well. You see, God takes worship, the worship of him, seriously. The scriptures encourage us to worship him in reverence and awe. Verse 7 says to stand in awe of God, so the worship of God is important. How do we take the worship of God seriously and are we doing that? That's the challenge of our passage today. So Ecclesiastes 5 begins by talking about the house of God. So that's our first point today, going to the house of God. Have a look at verse 1. He says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Excuse me. <laughs> need my water bottle. Um, so he's going to the house of God. He's going to the temple of God in Jerusalem. He's telling them to be careful how you approach this in your heart. Guard your steps. Uh, be careful where your heart is sitting when you go to approach God. Go near to listen to God rather than to do or say something stupid, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. No, guard your heart and go to listen to God. Worship God properly. So we're talking about the house of God here in verse 1. You know, uh, when I first came to this church, there was a few moments where um, the idea of the house of God came up. People told me that when we came into the church that we needed to be quiet and solemn because we were in the house of God. And then we needed to all walk out uh, to greet the minister at the door. We couldn't stay in and chat because this is the house of God. But friends, while there is merit in, in venerating our Sunday church, there is a different context between us and the Jew, isn't there? You see, we don't have a temple. We don't actually have the house of God. We live in the New Testament times now where there's no temple. We've got Jesus instead. We have the Spirit of God living in us. God, the Bible calls us the temple of God, the church. 
and, and even in our hearts. Your body is a temple of the Spirit. And Jesus himself was the presence of God. So the coming of Jesus has changed all this stuff. The temple was destroyed and the presence of God is now in the people of God. Isn't that amazing? The presence of God is in your heart. It's in our church. And obviously it was in Jesus Christ himself. So we worship by the Spirit and through Jesus, we don't need to go to the temple of God anymore which by implication, it must be said, the church building is not the house of God. It's just a building. It's a building that has meaning to us, but it's not the temple, it's not the house of God. And it's not helpful to call it or treat it that way. So what's the application of this verse for us today? It's about how we approach worshipping our God isn't it? You see, this is about how we approach worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we guard our steps? Do we guard our hearts when we approach the worship of King Jesus? A couple of things. Are we actually worshipping Jesus in our life? Is he actually our Lord? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Saviour? And if he is, how central is he to your life? Is he your all? Is he your everything? Do you revere him above all things? Do you guard your heart, guard your steps when you come to worship the Lord Jesus? Have you been worshipping him properly? I may have told you before, when I was at Bible college, we'd just finished our first year of Bible college and I had a friend there who came to me at morning tea and said he'd just become a Christian. Can you imagine a guy, he's just finished his first year of a Masters of Divinity and he just became a Christian. He said he'd been sitting in his backyard and he'd been reflecting on all that was going wrong in his life and he said that Christ hit him and proved to him, showed him he needed to actually become a true Christian and he did and he was rejoicing. So he hadn't been worshipping Jesus properly in his life and he turned round and he became a follower of the Lord. Friends, how we worship Jesus Christ matters. How we approach him and, and his glory in our life truly matters. So how are we approaching him in our life and where does he sit? Where does the word of God sit in your life? Are you reading God's word and praying to him, fearing the Lord day by day? Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you might be a lapsed Christian, someone who's backsliding in the faith, struggling a bit in your faith. And this passage should be a challenge to you today, a challenge to come back to the heart of worship and putting Jesus first again. But for many of us, we will be strong Christians and we love the Lord. And so this passage is an encouragement to us to keep on keeping on in the faith, to keep Worship of Jesus, sensual in our hearts and our minds, in our life. We need to go away and remember to cultivate the worship of God in our life. How are you going to do that? How does that work for you? Uh, for some of us, perhaps for all of us, it should be making sure we have a regular quiet time with God. Remembering that we're coming to church to worship on the Lord's day. 
For some of us, it's going on a retreat. Maybe you enjoy getting out into the bush and seeing God's creation and rejoicing in him. Whatever works for you, we need to cultivate the worship of God in our daily life. So we've seen firstly, thinking about the house of God and the worship of God. What does it mean for us as Christians to have a humble relationship with the Lord Jesus? But secondly, the passage talks about making vows to God, doesn't it? That's our second point today, making vows to God. Read with me from verse 2. He says, do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Verse 5, it is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. So we see this section here, really from verses 2 to 7, is about making vows to God. Now, this is a foreign concept for us, isn't it? I'm sure it's not something you think about a lot, making vows to God. As a, as a great uh, Prezi minister, I discovered this morning that the Westminster Confession of Faith has a chapter on making vows to God. How about that? But, you know, that was still written 500 years ago. So what about now? You know, is this completely irrelevant for us? making vows to God? Well, back in the time of the ancient Israelites, the the Israelites of the Bible, vows were an important thing in their worship of God. In the Old Testament, they had the opportunity to make a vow to the Lord, to promise to perform some kind of act as a mark of worship for God. There was a very famous vow in the Old Testament called the Nazarite vow, You may have heard of it. It's from the book of Numbers. Uh, It involved weird stuff like cutting your hair in a weird way and abstaining from certain foods. But, you know, Samson took that vow and so did the Apostle Paul. So it can't have been that crazy. Now, these vows, this idea of vows, a bit strange for us. Have a look at verse 2. He says, don't be quick with your mouth or hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Be careful what you're going to say. Don't be hasty. And see in verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. You better back it up if you're going to say it. So from verse 4 and onwards, it's really talking about actually keeping our words that we say. The vows that we make, are you actually going to keep it? This has challenged me in the past few months because there was a time about six to 12 months ago, I promised a group of people I would do something and then I turned around and I didn't do it. Mel told me I was an idiot, which I was. Uh, But it's very challenging, isn't it, to keep our word. We see in verse 5 and 6, he's talking about the same thing. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Why should God be angry at what you say? So the question we need to come back to, though, is as Christians, should we be taking vows at all? Is this really something in the modern day as Christians that we could or should be doing? As a a bit of an analogy, think about the idea of fasting. Fasting is something in the Bible. uh, The foregoing of food as a mark of worship to God, as a mark of personal devotion to the Lord. Now, fasting is not something that Christians must do. 
but it's still something that might be helpful for your spiritual life. You don't have to do it, but you can if it's something special between you and God. Now, I wonder if that's similar to taking vows in that we don't have to do it, uh, but if you want to do that before the Lord, go for it. It's between you and God. But if you do, be careful. Look at how what he says, when you make a vow, do not delay in fulfilling it, so be careful if you're going to. But that's between you and God, and perhaps between you and someone else. Just as a side note, I have thought about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, where he talks about, um, don't take an oath. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, it's very important that Jesus says that. But what Jesus is referring to is the misuse of oaths and vows by the Pharisees and by the Jews of that time. They would take oaths in very technical ways and, and immoral ways and, and misuse the whole concept. So I think according to the Lord Jesus, we still could take a vow, uh, but be careful if you do. Be careful to fulfill your vows to the Lord. Now you might think you don't take vows as a Christian. Let me challenge you on that. Were you baptised? Did you become a member of the church? You took a vow. Are you an elder? You took a vow when you became an elder. Are you married? We take vows. So this is something pretty current, isn't it? It's a challenge for us to keep our vows, to keep our word. God's watching on. God is in heaven. You are on earth. He's watching what you say. Be careful to fulfill your vows. So let us go away and think about these things and how we can serve the Lord in this ways. It may be that promising something to the Lord might be a helpful thing for you to do in your spiritual life. You don't have to, but it might be really helpful. So we've seen uh, in the passage two points today. Firstly, thinking about coming approaching the worship of Jesus and making sure that that is super important to us and we're doing that well. Secondly, thinking about taking vows to the Lord and whether that would be something that would grow you your spiritual life. I think the big idea of our message today is we have to take our relationship with Jesus seriously and be careful to fulfill the promises we make to God. When we ordain a minister in the Prezi Church, we ask them this really cool vow. They say, they're asked, do you promise in the strength of divine grace to live a holy and circumspect life? That's a pretty serious vow, isn't it? It shows how, how seriously we take the importance of following Jesus with all our heart. Do you promise... To worship Jesus appropriately, do you promise in the strength of divine grace to live a holy and circumspect life? That's a vow that all of us really can take in our life, isn't it? We're all living that out. We're promising to take the Lord Jesus seriously and to seek to be holy. How are you approaching the worship of God in your life? How are you approach, approaching worshipping and following God 
He is the living God, the glorious King of all. Is the way we live fearing him? Are we taking the worship of this great King seriously? Some of you might know this story. A number of years ago, in our local region, in like a 300k radius of here, there was a minister who left his wife for another woman in the church. And he left off, committed adultery, left his family, ran off with this other woman and didn't repent. Friends, we have to take the worship of God seriously. Now, I know there's caveats with this. You know, we can't be too judgmental. You know, Jesus says, let him who without sin throw the first stone. I love the cliche which says there, but for the grace of God go I. But if we've promised to follow God seriously, then we have to follow God seriously. We must take our relationship with Jesus seriously and be careful to fulfill the promises we've made to God. May God help me and may he help you as well. What will that look like in your life going forward? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which saves us. Lord, we know that our sin was so serious that your very Son had to die to save us. Please help us to put you at number one in our heart and our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 